Hello, my name is Jack Elliot Hobbs, and welcome to Unlived Lives, a philosophical YouTube series and podcast in which we explore the lives my guests are not living and why. If you hear any unmotivated sound, it's likely to be my two dogs enjoying life entirely in the present, unaware of any disruption they may be causing. I hope you enjoy listening. My guest in this episode was born in Germany in 1932 into a theatrical family. She initially trained as a dancer and actress, but always had ambitions to be a painter. Her career in performing led her to be cast in the film Paths of Glory, where she met her future husband, Stanley Kubrick. Before moving to England in the late 60s, the Kubrick family spent time in America and Christiana embarked on her new career as a painter, studying art in California and New York. International success followed with exhibitions in New York, Rome and London and later in her career when Christiana and her family finally settled in Hertfordshire, the joy of bringing art to people was opened up to her when she exhibited at Art in Action at Waterbury, Oxfordshire. The spirit of artists working and demonstrating their techniques, interacting with people and sharing their art without barriers appealed to Christiana, and soon she was taking part in open studios, where visitors were able to see her at work in her environment. A natural progression from open studios was for Christiana to utilise the beautiful grounds of Chidibri Estate, where she moved to with Stanley in 1978, and to create her own arts fair. In summer of 2003, the first Chidibri Arts Fair was held and was an instant success. Christiana now spends her time painting and preparing for the annual arts fair and Christmas market. Christiana Kubrick, grandmother, Welcome to Unlived Lives. Grandmother, hoping that there will be another fair soon. Hopefully. Yeah. It's um, been really tough, hasn't it, without, without it? Yeah, I know. I, maybe by summer it's over. I don't know. I hope I, so. I hope so, too. I hope so. Tell me about a little about your time in show business. Oh, uh, it started when I was three, I think. Oh. <laughs> I was the child of opera singers and I very early on uh, was used for little parts and I very much liked it because uh, then I didn't have to go to kindergarten and I didn't have to go to school sometimes. Instead, I would do these bits and um, my favorite thing was to sit um, when they were rehearsing operas uh, in the orchestra pit. And the sensation of sitting in the middle of an enormous orchestra playing is fantastic. No other music will do for me. Mm, incredible. Yeah, it was a good way to start. <laughs> yeah. And so you, and you wanted to move on. What I wanted to do is uh, be a painter because uh, I lived in a house with a painter. And we had the upper floor and the lower floor, and, and then we exchanged or something, and he was a very nice man, and I disturbed him all the time, watching him paint. And he would give me a little table, and I was allowed to smear around. I was very little, uh, five or so, with paint, real paint, pr promising to wash my hands, promising to not get it on my clothes. <laughs> and I would sit there, wrapped in a dust bag, and uh, so my clothes wouldn't get dirty and my fingers not too dirty. And so I learned really 
to paint properly very, very little I was with this very nice man. And then they moved away and I inherited his studio as my bedroom. <laughs> so that was always great fun. That was sort of the beginning of doing, having painting things like other children didn't have. I had many more brushes and coloring pencils and all sorts of equipment that other children had never even seen. So I felt well ahead of them. And, and, and then I had a puppet theater and I built the puppets and I sewed their costumes and I made the sets and I did because I grew up with these on opera sets. I knew how to make them. And so my life started painting and playing with puppets and charging money. Fantastic. Yeah, very uh, important. How old, were you money. The, how old were you at this point? Seven. Seven. Yeah. I was, I Making did, money from a puppet theater at seven is not too bad. That's right. And getting away with murder. I knew a lot <laughs> of text. And people would come and pay me <laughs> pennies and, uh, and, and watch it. And I was allowed to switch the lights off in the room. And then my father made me a little light that was writing the stage that was very effective. And um, because I was always there when my parents were rehearsing and I would, they would take me to the theater. And so I knew these outrageous, you know, opera texts are fairly heavy going, uh, a bit corny most of the time. <laughs> and everybody dies in the end. And so I did very dramatic Casper plays had very little to do with with a normal normal puppet theater, which was kind of I thought lukewarm. Mm. Carmen is much better if you die, yeah. <laughs> so I uh, was invited to many birthday parties. As a result, provided I would bring the puppet theater, and I was then the entertainment. So my career as entertainer started very young. Wow. And uh, I, I even got somebody who could some electric stuff in my, provided I didn't touch certain things. I had real light on my stage. And that's uh, from puppet theatre, it developed into I lived stage in, work. Yeah, it developed into uh, not being normal anymore. You know, I mean, I, I had this thing always on. I had a million voices I would pretend to have for all the different characters. And my parents were amused. And then they sent me to ballet school, and I liked I liked that, and I I became a contortionist, and <laughs> so it, it never stopped. And the point is that because of the puppets and because of the surroundings of people who are all rather dramatic opera singers and noisy people and people who don't mind if you show off because that's how they're born is showing off. Mm. And so I showed off. And uh, I then got in school, selected to do puppet plays in my own theater for the Red Cross. Wow. That's my first career move. Wow. Mm. <laughs> Sounds very fun. So, to success, I imagine. Yeah, it was, I felt very successful. And it led also to my wanting to be a painter because I did the sets. And okay. So, and I, because we had lived in a house with a painter, I already knew about oil paints. And I was very frustrated with children's paints that didn't do the same thing at all. But I did paint with my watercolors and sort of other poster colors or whatever, uh, dramatic hell holes. And uh, my, my devil was very informed character and I had a, a fire that I could make to flutter by shaking a stick and then I had these flames on it and wow. it was I was very dramatic and um, that's where I lived I lived in that little puppet theater so I became a most peculiar child but then I often got the much better job when we had Christmas performances in school and then uh, when we all had to go into the uh, much loved Hitler youth I was the performer. I, for all official occasions, I was allowed to do puppet theater, which got me out of sports, which I hated. <laughs> and, and high jumping and low jumping and far jumping and running through the woods and uh, 
horrible stuff. And I made it most important that I needed more rehearsal for the performance for the Red Cross. I got out of sports a lot that way. Mm. Wow. Wow. It's my early career in show business. Yes. And that, and so that developed into... Yeah, I never stopped. Being, yeah. I never stopped. And then, then uh, I, I did a lot of dancing. And then when I came home from boarding school, where I had also done all the performing in boarding school, and now I was properly doing ballet. And uh, I would occasionally say uh, that I could also do things with talking. Mm. So I got little parts. Wow. And then by the time I was 17 or 18, I, I, I got a job. 19, I had a proper job. In the theatre? In the theatre, yeah. Fantastic. And how, how many shows were you doing a week? Every night we did, um, because these were local theatre in a small university town, Freiburg. Mm. And so we had um, we had different plays on every night with bigger and smaller parts. And then I was in ballet only also. And then we had big Christmas plays and they were very lucrative for me. Yeah. And I also opened a little private puppet theater for Christmas parties. I was in business. Yes, I advertised. I had little advertising signs everywhere that between two and five and between 11 and 12, mm. I could perform when I didn't have school. And uh, I, I advertised my program and I would charge so much to come and perform at the party. Mm. And I got some cake. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> my job. <laughs> wow. So I started this very early, yeah. which then um, ultimately when I needed to make money, I started in the ballet because that's what I'd always done. And then when there was a small talking part, I, I could do that. And the other dancers weren't as good at, at speaking because I had rehearsed that lots of times. Mm. With, and I knew lots of texts from the puppet theater and from seeing opera rehearsals. The texts were always a little sentimental and heavy as in operas. And lots of uh, death and kisses and things. And um, so I had plenty of really corny plots robbed mostly from operas mm. that I would then transfer to the puppet theater. But they started using me in Red Cross performances and so on. And I got a few other people to help me. And my puppet theater grew into quite a big thing. And I painted all the sets, which started me wanting to be a painter. Right. That's that one, yeah. And when did that... Did you enjoy your time in, in show business or was it, or, or did you in, always have wanted I, to, did, when did you know you wanted to paint? I always knew I wanted to paint because I needed to paint for have a new set for my performances. And right. so I did very good hells, best in hells. And I was very good at witches' houses. And I was also getting all around doing sunsets and wow. rain and thunderstorms on, <sighs> on canvas. Then I got yeah. Then I got canvas. I had others only had wood, and then I had all of those things. And so by the time I went to art school, eventually, I was way ahead, you know, because mm. that's I'd done nothing else. And um, so that's what started. But I still couldn't get make you for a woman to make money in painting. Was then forget it, you know. But I could make money doing uh, theatre. And uh, because I had been in the ballet so early and sudden, suddenly uh, musicals f came from America and that became all the fashion. Mm. And because my father was an opera singer and taught me how to sing, which has to be the world's most tinny, horrible, shrieky voice in, on earth, <laughs> but very loud. And I had that. And so I was then put into musicals. And because I could also dance, I made a very good career in Germany, which didn't do musicals. Before. We did operetta, but we didn't do musicals in, in before the war. Mm. And now this was fashionable. And that got me going. So then I started to make some money. And then I got into films. And then I met my husband. Wow. And I could go back to painting. 
I see. It's the whole curve. All right. You kept going in theatre because purely money. You, know, you had to. Yeah, yeah, I had to. I, I, was, I was there every day. Yeah. I was never out of the place. Wow. Because I was doing ballet and I was doing some uh, small shows with acting. And then I was doing first little television films, which were in an old bunker in Hamburg. And it was so hot you could barely breathe because they needed lots and lots of light to do just ordinary black and white television. And the ceilings weren't high enough because this was an old bunker. And so we were in this un unbelievable heat uh, doing live television. And it was the most horrible and artistically, I believe, lousy work I've ever done. <laughs> uh, but that made real money. You got money for that because nobody wanted to do it. Mm. It was also laughed at. I mean, to have television set was a bit of nouveau riche, you know, not really good. And it wasn't. It was only three, four hours, I think four o'clock. And then in the evening, another program, that was all the television there was. And so if you got into that, that I, I made money with that. Yeah, that was good. Wow. And But so primitive. Artistically probably the lowest form of, of working you could possibly imagine. And so hot because the light was always so strong and mm. far too near. And uh, yeah, it was bad times. Started in Hamburg at the Nordwest Deutscher Rundfunk where they had television, I think for two or three hours a day, no longer. But to be in that was, was good. And so once they knew you knew how to do it and knew all the disciplines so you mustn't walk into somebody else's set because uh, it was all on one old room or stage sort of sealed off but the sealed off behind the next wall was another show altogether and you mustn't walk walk into it you ruined it mm. and it was as primitive as it looked and uh i mean really bad television <laughs> but it i i mean but it paid the bills it, it it, it paid the bills, yes, and, and, and also to be known that you could do it and that you could synchronize and translate and speak the text from foreign films, which is the most boring, most demanding work where you have to speak much faster than is normal or artistically valuable because German <laughs> takes twice as long to spit out than English. Right. And so you speak incredibly fast like that. And you mustn't make any mistake, and you must still sound a little bit like the other actress, and you must make sense of the dramatic part of the thing. Of course, it has to be lousy to do that. You know, and I, but that made good money because nobody wanted to do it, and it was artistic death, <sighs> absolutely terrible. I did quite a lot of it for for money. Mm. I mean, despite it being for my, did you, did you enjoy it? Did you did you have good memories? Or? I enjoyed the challenge of synchronizing because people couldn't do it, and a good actor, a self-respecting actor, which I wasn't, uh, wouldn't think so low as to be tortured through one speedy sentence, which, if you were a good actor, could not be spoken at that speed. You would, mm. your honor was in in danger. I didn't care. I just went through it for the money. And I must have spoken parts. I mean, <laughs> sometimes with a low voice, uh, synchronizing. Then they luckily stopped and used text, which was much better. Because synchronized films, especially in German, which is a far longer language than any other, mm. has to be catastrophic for the film. Catastrophic. But they... But they were successful. Year. Yes. People would rather hear that rushed up hopeless German speaking than having to read English titles translated. And then they would, they, they would have the, the titles written at the bottom of the picture. And since cinemas also weren't very well, they were far too flat, the seats. There was always a shoulder in the way, so it's hard <laughs> to read. And so it took a long time for the cinema to adjust to foreign films. And in the interim where they did it really badly, I, I, I made some I made some money with that. Hmm. Very ill earned money, I have to say. Yeah. It was not good. 
And I think I think we all know, you know, the the story sort of beyond Paths of Glory. But the, um, if what's curious to me is, would you have continued in show business? No, had you my, not my whole work? aim in life and in Munich, I lived opposite the art school, but I was still in the theatre, and I was saving up money that I could stop and could start studying painting, and uh, my my father had done something that I later on could never forgive him. He was uh, uh, in a music high school in Freiburg, um, and he he was well-respected. He was an opera a, singer. He was an opera singer. Teacher. He taught singing, mm. and he knew all the other teachers also in the art school, because Freiburg is a medieval little town, and all the schools and the high school and the art school were in one area. So they met, and he told the director of the art school where I had just sent my portfolio in the hope of being a painter. He's, he begged him, he says, please don't take her because she's making a very good success out of what she's doing now and I want her to be able to earn a living. He meant well, but he killed me. You know, he says, please don't. So I was rejected. And that, I told you I had practically a nervous breakdown because I was so convinced that I could do this. And to have been so wrong about myself was very destructive. Mm. So much later, years later, he said, I was successful in something. He said, you were great. How glad I am that I got you out of it. What? You did what? And my mother said, you shouldn't tell her, you know. And he told me that he told the guy not to take me in school. I never did forgive him. It was a mean thing to do. I don't think he meant to be mean. He meant me to be one of the few women in show business to make money mm. that's what he meant mm. the fact that he would ruin my self-esteem and my heart's desire to become a painter he he wasn't aware of that he didn't never he never got it and uh, but I, it was one of those things that when i think of him this is what i remember very often and which is also very ungrateful. He didn't mean it badly, but it turned out to be a real mistake because mm. all I did is try to get back into the painting business. How did you go about that? How did you, how, what was your plan? My plan was to make as many films as I could and try to get more money and television things which started to pay well, save up the many, money so I could pause and have enough money, even though by then I had also already a child, which doesn't help in economical things but I did and so I wanted to be able to feed my child and have uh, at least a year in art school and see what happens mm. after that and uh, I was in the middle of, of saving up money for that and doing endless endless television because that at the time paid best so whatever they had I did so I was on it all the time. That is, in those days, television was only on in the afternoon. I think from, oh. it wasn't, wasn't an all-day thing as now. But my then-husband saw me on television. And that's how I met an American. Mm. That's, that was that one. Wow. So it could have been, had that not happened, you know, it, 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 was, it was you. It was fate. Film after film. Film after film and after then, film. And then, and then the, the, the plan was to sort of buy school. somewhere, art school. Yeah. Save up money and, and, and be very poor and go to art school. That was my plan. So it worked out much better because the Californian art school was incredibly good, much more modern and much more meaningful than German art schools were at the mm. time. And I had a great time and no money worries. So that that was when my life really took off. Would you have stayed in Germany had you not met Stanley? Well, I had nowhere else to go. You know, I, I was in Germany for jobs. Mm. And my jobs came from there. And it was then an American director who wanted uh, a girl singing in German. Mm. Okay, you know, I came sang in German, <laughs> and got married. Amazing. Amazing. And, and you've been painting ever since? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I've been painting since I can hold a pencil. I mean, I've always done that. I used to do all my own puppet theatre backgrounds, pots where you can throw the villain in the pot and cook him, and I had a battery that would make red light. Hmm. 
That's very good. Did you continue doing theatre theater art? So did you, you... Oh, yeah, I did to the end do lots of theatre still. And uh, I went in the Kammerspiele in Munich and also in Berlin. I did musicals, Kiss Me Kate forever. Mm. And I did films in the Russian, uh, in the East German, don't, not called Russian Zone anymore mm. then. Wow. And so I did work there. And so I made films and television. Early television was very exciting. What, what was the focus of your art? Was still life? I didn't know. I, I practiced painting. And uh, it was pathetic stuff. And I have mostly forgotten it. And I never, um, because I, I, I got divorced very quickly and rushed off to America when I met my new husband and my former husband uh, didn't send me any of my stuff. So I lost it all. I nice. lost all the early work. Yeah. Mm. That was still there. And, uh, but at the time I didn't care. You know, mm. It wasn't important. And that um, was that story. Mm. Yeah. And then you were in England and your time in open studios and at Waterbury you know, yeah. you, th that became your focus. Oh, England was, first of all, I liked the English. I liked the American art school. I liked New York uh, um, uh, very much. I went to the uh, Art Students League, I think it was called. I think so. And I uh, studied there, painted mm. all day. And then I came to England and went to art school in, I forgot, I forgot the name of the art school. Never mind, I, I did go all the mm. time. And from then on, I that's all I've done is paint. And that's always what I wanted to do. And it does sound very old-fashioned now, but at the time, uh, being a woman painter, forget it. You know, you don't make a penny. If you're very lucky, you get to be a dress designer or a, a any, something to do in fashion or something in theater decoration if you're very lucky. But you couldn't be a painter who has exhibitions. And in Germany, for once, there weren't as many art gal galleries as there are now in England and America. And I haven't been back to Germany, so I don't know. I think there are many more there as well. Mm. So that's that story. But i that's what I've always wanted to be. And uh, my my influence was my when I was very little, four, four years old, I lived in a house that belonged to a painter, and um, Benno Kusche was his name. He's quite a well-known painter. And if I shut up and never moved anything and never touched anything and stayed in the corner in a little table he had given me, I could be in his studio, provided I did not speak. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> yes, wow. Benno Kusche was his name, and I, I did that. And I loved him, and I never spoke, never one word. How did so? Is that where you? That must have been real painting. Watching him. somebody really painting, and he given me some brushes, and he given me some bits of cardboard and things that yeah. I, I could paint on, and and then I got some pieces of wood, and I could paint on that, and I had to promise to wash my hands, and I had to promise not to touch anything on his table. So how did that come about? He lived in. We lived in the same house. Their house was 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 one of those modern, you know, rows and rows of private houses that they built in Germany, all pretty much the same. And there were a way to have a house and a garden. But some of the houses were big enough so two families could live there. And I lived with a family where the man was a painter. And I think the woman and we and my father taught his son opera singing. So that's where we lived. And they were okay. very nice people. And they allowed me to play in the garden, which legally wasn't rented by us and so, but it was a great place. And then the top room was huge. It was the roof really with one enormous window. And then the painter moved away and I was given that room nobody wanted because mm. it was just this one big window and cold. I didn't mind being cold. And I had this big room and studio and it was his former studio so that was bliss i found lots of old things he gave me all his throwaway bits and pieces and canvases and 
cardboard and wooden pieces and also old canvases that I was allowed to paint over. Only I wasn't given really good paint. It kept peeling off. I remember that was very sad. But uh, other than that, that's how I started. I I had watched this guy paint and uh, that's all I wanted to do. Who would you say was the biggest influence on your life in art? Bonnard, Pierre Bonnard comes to mind. I liked him best. And uh, uh, lots of French painters I liked, lots of Impressionists, and I liked also earlier. I liked all painting for a while. I looked at every painting there ever was. I went to every museum there ever was. And... um, that's all I wanted to do. And then in California, I went to a proper art school uh, and I had for the first time a real easel with three legs. I've never <laughs> had this before. Wow. What did you use before? Tables and floor, walls. You know, I, 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 it, my mother thought the thing got in the way. And it also wasn't approved. Women painters were considered a born failure. There weren't any. Mm. They didn't have any exhibitions. And women always got jobs in fashion, as I said before, mm. or the, uh, doing backgrounds to things. And it wasn't, it wasn't glamorous. And to, as a woman, to want to be a painter, they immediately said, no, no forget it, you know, don't, don't do that. And as I said, my father told the director of yeah. the, uh, not to take me because he saw me poverty-stricken while I was already making money from the stage work. So from his point of view, I guess he was logical and I probably would have starved. You know, I mean, I don't think anybody would have bought my paintings, nor were they any good. I mean, uh, the start for any painter is hard. Sure. Even if they're genius uh, capacity and, and really good already, they still have a hard time, especially if they're women. Just coming back to, to, to the art, does... Yeah. Does the price of a piece of art reflect how good it is? God, that's a long debate. I think ultimately over years and years and years that the quality wins. But for a long time, the quality of the painting is hampered if it is not at the hot spot of fashion at the time. So to predict careers for good painters or for one who you think paints very badly but knocks out meters and meters of abstract wonders that to my artistic mind, some are very good. I mean, I'm not saying they're all bad, but they are shallow in approach and uh, when the fashion of abstract art is over, then only the very best Abstract art will still be bought, and it will tend to be probably Japanese. They are the the kings of abstract thinking, in and and they have these wonderful layouts and patterns. And uh, I don't think in Europe it was ever as good. But this I can bore you to death with these many opinions in the area. Sure. No. Well, I mean, it's it's fascinating. So it's probably something to do with the culture and the. Um What's popular at the time, you know, if abstract is Absolutely. popular. Absolutely, and what influences the popularity of something is something everybody would like to know, especially galleries. It goes from one thing to another and suddenly something suddenly becomes a sensation and two years later, oh no, you know. Mm. So that's like predicting fashion. You can't do it. No. What's the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you? Kindest thing? Marry me. <laughs> My husband, yes, yeah. yes, he married me. I thought that was very flattering. Does does good things for one e- one's ego. Yes, <laughs> yes, it did, it did, it did, it did everything for my ego. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about myself very much, and then I suddenly mm. thought, wow. So, yeah, I, I I always wanted to be married. I liked to be married. I also needed to be married because I already had a daughter. Right. It would be good to give her a father. Right. And then Stanley became her father. No, I was very happy to be married, hmm. and never, never. Um, Not only married, but married to somebody who loved you and and you loved. <laughs> Mar- marriage, uh, I I was completely in love, and and uh, 
Absolutely. Mm. And also, Stanley was very interesting to live with. I mean, I, I, caught very, I was very lucky to meet him. Mm. I worked for him. Uh, he hired me for some part, and I thought, hmm, yeah. <laughs> so I was very happy to be married. Yeah. But is there anything you regret not doing due to being afraid? Oh, that comes into the field of endless uh, questioning and neurotic thought and... Self-doubt. Self-doubt, all of that, yeah. And you can get over that for a lifetime. I think every every artist can. Mm. And uh, what would happen if I had done that and shouldn't I have done it that way? And uh, you wouldn't be an artist if you were not vulnerable to that fate of doubt and confidence, doubt, confidence, doubt. I'm great, I'm shit, I'm great, I'm shit. That, that's the way you think. Because you know? what I'm really interested in is finding that from your experience, what that sort of philosophy is that helps you get through that and get past that. Isn't one. Isn't one. There isn't a philosophy. There's terrible ups and downs of... Uh, uh, arrogant confidence and total despair and sort of dull, lukewarm in-betweenies. Oh, I'm good enough. You know, it's like all the arts have that. I don't care if it's an actor, a composer, a painter or uh, a writer. I, it, it has to be open. All the art forms are open to total highs and and delirious uh, arrogant confidence and utter despair and it can come within one hour so I think that's what all the arts have in common and do you think that changes the art changes the product N no I think good products if you do a good painting if you're on the way luckily there are bad moments where where you're so neurotic that you will destroy something that was actually quite good and later on you look at it and you say what did I do that for you know mm. it was really much better and uh, so the various the various neurosis that people have uh, in all the arts this is true for musicians as well as actors as well as painters that you can be very creative and it can be followed by total self-destructiveness and uh, self-doubt immediately switched over to appalling uh, arrogance. I don't know why that happens, but I think it's just human. Very challenging. And I, I, I recollect many a time us both coming into the kitchen, <laughs> you know, and just being like, oh, it's, uh, or I'm working on something quite good at the moment, or, oh, no, it's awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at self-destruct, yes. It's like a hand grenade, you know, I mean, and... and then I, I slowly sort of got get myself together. And, and I can't even describe the process that I think not only I, but all artistic people go through these much laughed at emotional hiccups and highs and lows and neurotic habits and, and laziness changed over with fanatic ill, you know, energy that is so intense that it causes ill health for other reasons you know you either work too much or too little or to this or to that and I think painters who find a way of just stay calm and work when you have a good moment use it you know there are good and bad moments in every artistic field I don't care what it is and um, what I didn't like is acting because there your mistakes happen now in public for everyone to see bad stuff and you know that you can't retrieve it mm. and it, it's I hated acting I like parts of acting very much and giving myself to all kinds of plays but if you make a mistake it's so damaging and if you are on a uh, you can be influenced by people or by fashions and uh, 
start copying um, a, a way that at the moment seems to be popular. Mm. And you're like a cheap whore, you know, copying some infantile idea that everybody in the moment thinks is fantastic. So you're very vulnerable and your vanity becomes an alpine mountain compared to painting and music and so on where the process of doing it is slower. Acting is suddenly and very fast and inspired at times. So your good or bad taste and your opinion of yourself, your psychological state that you're in can ruin you in in areas of total blind arrogance or humbling and destroying in you know insecurity mm. so i i i never liked acting that i was dependent on too many things and too many moments that you only had 20% real choice the rest was fate who you're acting with, what play you're in, what town you're in, what time you're in, uh, how you look, very important. And then filming has even more of these things. I remember my husband often complaining about the um, mood in a film while you're shooting. It can destroy the whole thing and nobody knows what happened. Nobody knows what set it off that Mrs. So-and-so suddenly became a lousy actress when yesterday she was good. Huh? <laughs> and there's great danger, in, and because film is so expensive, if several scenes have been shot and the actress that had been good yesterday is today a toad. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what to do. And it's very expensive to have to do it again. Yeah, mm. yeah. It occurs, to, it occurs to me, grandmother, that the the strength that you have mustered to to as you as you say in those moments of of self doubt and you're painting and you do a painting and you think what the hell am I doing you know those those real lows <laughs> and you know of which you know I recognise entirely and I think any crazy person as you say will um, but the determination to do it and to keep doing it. You know, how, where does that come from for you? It comes from crying and sucking your thumb and feeling stupid and doing that for quite a while and then thinking, well, I can either keep doing this and feeling sorry for myself or I can try something very simple. Maybe that isn't gone wrong. And then slowly you climb up again saying, no, 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 I can pull myself together. I'm, I'm better than that. I'm smarter than that. I'm quicker than that. And I'm more industrious than that. And I have to pull, be a grown-up, yes. Mm. And I think there's hardly any profession or any activity where this particular scale does not apply. Mm. Very tough. And for, for people who have never been sort of shown a door that they could walk through, you know, I, I know a lot of people who have never been shown that they have the option to be creative. You know, That's true. By the sounds of things, you know, your childhood and your father tried to deter you from so, from being that sort of creative that he, he you know, act, acting is a creative field, you could say. However, you know, you were deterred, but you persevered. And I did, yeah. But there are so many people, I think, that, that, that don't even see it as an option, you know, and, and what advice would you, would you give them? Well, you, you can feel yourself. Uh, I, I experienced... Uh, my longing for painting. A, I wasn't, you know, because you don't do it all the time, you're, you're not good. And so my little drawings and my little paintings, it's mostly only watercolor. I never even dared to use anything as serious as oil. Oh, no, far too insecure. And every once in a while I did something, everybody said, you can, you can draw really well. And I did lots of cartoons and stuff. And then I got confidence that I wish I could do this all the time. And I wished that very much. And I did hundreds of drawings. But my success was now in acting. And I couldn't very well let go of the income. And for uh, I couldn't let go of the feeling that this is something I know how to do. And then I kept thinking, but it's not really what I want to do. I'm bored, 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 bored. And um, in another 
five years, I'll be too old for this. Not am I then bored, but also scared. And the life of an actress is relatively short. And then you only get to play the dying auntie. And then there is a, is a, is a long time where you're not old enough to play the drunken grandmother, but you are not young enough to play the lover. And that's the time where many actresses, especially females, lose all jobs. Nobody wants, nobody wants the in-between time when you're 45. You play the divorced wife who's very angry and drunk. That scene lasts about two minutes. It's not enough to make money. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I always saw this danger in acting. And I thought with, with drawing and painting, and I had heard of contracts that people have with book companies where you could illustrate novels, illustrate children's books, illustrate even filling in paint books. You know, if, if there's somebody has to draw this, so it can be published. And I thought there's always a job for somebody who can draw really well. And if right. somebody says, I want you to do a tractor or a locomotive or goldfish or a palm tree or an old man's face or a pinup girl, and you have to sit down with a pencil and draw that, that will make you money because they can then use it. And, and you don't get much money at all. I mean, you get very little money but it's another day you, you can buy food. Mm. And so, well, in film parts, you get lots of money, but you may not get another film for a long time. In the theater, you get reasonably good money, but you may have to be on stage doing the same part for seven months. You slowly go mad. <laughs> yeah, I've done musicals. If I didn't do Kiss Me Kate, I don't know how many times. And it becomes very depressing. Mm. And also you you become not as good as you were in the beginning. You're, you're just this typical, you, you, you get very bad habits of things that you know to do well. Your tap dancing improves, yes. And you can do a handstand on one hand. But you're already getting a little too old for those kind of things. So this, oh, I hated this feeling of, by the time you're good enough, you're too old. That mm. that all actors and actresses mostly are haunted by, and your preoccupation with your looks and the people having face operations and the endless talk about uh, your erotic potency, your 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 elegance, uh, in addition to your skill as an actor come then things about your personality. Is it one that makes money or not? Are you sexy or not? Are you too coquettish to be sexy? Are you too childish? Are you too old-fashioned? Are you too, 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 too? Mm. And you go mad with self-examination, and I hated that profession. I hated to constantly having to observe myself and to watch that I do certain things in the way people might find in interesting or good or, or erotic taste. Uh, I, I, I wasn't good at all at things like that. If there were emotional scenes, it, it felt far too personal, far too indiscreet to be really good at it. You have to really come out with stuff that is what you thought, very private. And that process, some actors like, and they're the good ones. Mm. And some actors hate it. Mm. And they're at best mediocre, and that was me. Because I hated this spilling my innermost feelings onto a stage in front of these guys down there in the audience. No way. While in painting and drawing, you can give all you got. You can think about it. You can correct it. You are the master over what you're doing. And it seemed to me a much more wonderful and pure art form. But then this is a painter speaking, so it's not true for everybody. It was interesting is that the, you've created an, an arts fair where you sit and paint in front of people. Yeah. So having that sort of it being on show, you said you don't like the pressure from, from being an actress and it being live. 
and but then now you've created a, a, a form where your art is live because now it's not me it's my painting right i'm doing something that people want to learn and draw and 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 think about it and see how it's done and i feel proud that i'm the person that can do that i can show you how to do that i know this looks boring this looks interesting it all goes on in one painting i can do oil i can do drawing i do poor water poor watercolor watercolor has too many accidents in it oh. <laughs> and uh, so but i enjoy showing off my skills I enjoy that and I try to do it as best I can. And in acting, if you're really good doing a tragic scene where you cry yourself to death or a very sexy scene where you, oh, mm. you know, lay your soul bare. I don't want to lay my soul bare to the people. <laughs> <laughs> I want to teach them how to paint. Yeah, I show you how to paint and I show you gory detail to the very end. But I don't want you to have me pretend I'm lying in bed with somebody having it all going on. No, that's mine. Indeed. And I don't want anybody to watch it and I don't want to show it. Hmm. And I can't even show it because it, I, it's nobody's business. And I hate that about acting, this exposing. Some actors who are really good love the moment where they're showing their soul to the audience and they're good. They're really good. Boy, they're giving something that n nobody else can. And they're, if they're tasteful and if they are really good actors, the audience receives an enormous present from them. Some really personal, very emotional and very tragic or happy or whatever or comical moment. Uh, it's the real thing. Mm. And I have enormous respect for really good actors and their courage to let go what is, after all, a bit of a secret. Especially if you play a love scene or so, that's, that's your stuff. You don't want to see Joe Schmo there in the audience, see you showing him that? No. I would always be not good at that moment because mm. I would wake up and think, I'm standing on a stage and these guys down there don't need to know what I look like when I'm in the ecstasies of lovemaking. No. <laughs> no way. No. And some actors like that, mm. and they are the good ones because mm. they, they get something out of showing what it's like to be wanting to commit suicide or to have a baby or whatever it is, or make love. And I didn't. And if you feel that you want to keep your secret a secret, don't go on the stage. Really don't. I told myself that very often. I don't care how much they pay me. I'm not going to do it for very much longer. The very first time I had a sh chance of saving up enough money from films so I could go to art school in Munich. That's what I was going to do. And I had already saved up quite a bit, even though I had a daughter and had a lot of costs, but I was making enough money to say, okay, now I can do it. And then I met Stanley. That was very good. A big, massive change. Total change. Yeah. Even though I had more children and more, more to do and lots of painters say, how do you, can you possibly paint with three children and all that? Oh, I can, you know, because I can. And uh, it was enormous freedom for me to, to, even though I was standing knee deep in unwashed dishes and whatever, because I had all those children. And I had a patient husband uh, uh, with my untidy house, but I, I got all the painting done. Mm. And um, ultimately, I got skillful enough to have a tidy house in painting. Mm. You know, you learn. And and ultimately, I was very lucky in that I had enough money to have help. And that was really lucky. Mm. I, for every day, I think I'm lucky that I have that. Mm. And in that way, do you think you live an a sort of an ordinary or an extraordinary life? I live the life I wanted. That's the ultimate. You you can't do better than that. And I don't have too many worries. I sometimes wake up and think, you really should worry. You don't find out enough. There's all sorts of dangers. I have a brother who's very much into that. 
and says, you know, warns me. But I'm not really afraid at the moment. And um, the luxury of living in a park rather than a garden and in a big fat house and having all the paint and no money worries, that is the ultimate luxury. And I'm aware of it every second of the day. Never take it for granted. I never do. That's that. <laughs> this is a boring conversation for you. That's absolutely not. That's why I'm doing it because it's very interesting. <laughs> it's it's incredibly interesting. Um, good, good. Who or what do you think might have stopped you from fulfilling your full potential? Poverty. Not getting jobs in acting. You know, getting older as an actress, very hard to make any money. Very difficult for women. I mean, I'm now making some money with painting, but it's the first time and I'm <laughs> almost 90 <laughs> and I can sell paintings. And, uh, but I wouldn't, I mean, on the whole, I've been very lucky in that Stanley married me and I didn't have to worry about money. He worried about money a lot. He was incredibly responsible. He wanted to make good films, but not at the cost of fear, would that make money? And he was very much in the middle of, of saying, I would like to do that, but nobody wants to see that. Mm. And that for film directors is a huge thing that your own interest doesn't match the what people are interested in yeah the the, the taste of people and mm. and what they pay a ticket for you know and uh, so it's it's uh, Stan and I talked about this a great deal and I I was so grateful and enormously relieved uh, that I could paint whatever I wanted because Stanley was making the money I didn't have to worry about that. I then sold stuff, and so I was, I, that was an additional pleasure. But while I was trying to do this, I got better because I was freed of the worried, will this sell? Will this sell? Maybe if I lose a little more pink, it will sell better. Maybe I add another rose, it'll sell better still. Mm. Maybe if I paint some real kitsch, I will be better still. And if you hadn't met Stanley, that would have very much had to have been on your mind. It's every painter's threat. They either go into uh, some at the moment fashion of modernity, whatever is hot at the moment, and if they want to make money, they are by force the victim of what the galleries want at the moment. And this is such a worry that if you like something that is also hot and fashionable at the moment, you will immediately think, I'm selling out. Mm. it's not me I want the money mm. so you now hate yourself mm. and you become incredibly neurotic as many painters do or you say to hell with everything let my children starve I paint my unfashionable pictures and I don't give a damn about it that's another form of selfishness that's absolutely horrible mm. so there are a lot of mean choices of and do you think it, the key is a balance between those two the key is being clever and talented and coming up with ideas that catch the audience where it has never been touched before and where you come up with something new or something interesting or something so well painted, something so well observed that even though it may not be new within the art world, this is one of the better samples. So you can have quality painters, both in traditional or in blasting modern fields. They're equally, if they're, as long as they're honest, as long as the person has tried their best, I think it's honorable. And uh, if you are just a cheap copycat that does what is hot at the moment and copies it a hundred times, it's also immediately visible, or in most cases very visible. Mm. Yeah, I think so. The time it takes to 
find your original idea. To find your idea, to have your idea, and dismiss it and collect it and groom it and develop it and doubt it and then approve it again and then doubt it again and then approve it again. That's an intellectual process that is ready to go for all artists. Then whether you write a song, a painting, or, or play something on the stage, that decision of being artistically interesting, uh, fun, insightful, intellectually enormously valuable, or emotionally make you cry for two days. You know, this all counts. Mm. If you can do all those things, you're off. And uh, in painting, you don't need to know why you suddenly buy or want a painting. That's an interesting bit. You say, why did I buy that? I love it. <laughs> why do I love it? I don't know. You yeah. know, that goes on. I, I really like that. Why do you think? I think it's a bit of kitsch. No. You know, that is the moment you buy a painting. Mm. And it has nothing to do with your education, with your insight, with your mood of the moment with your knowledge of art, it's direct. You want to have it and hang it over your bed. There it is. That's buying something you well, you like. I, I think that's what counts. I'm talking rubbish. No, you're absolutely not. You're talking <laughs> fantastically. Um, Christiana Kubrick. Yes. Grandmother, thank you so much for coming on the show I really really appreciate it okay and it's been absolutely marvellous to have you <laughs>